There is no Godcast. The official podcast of Northern Indiana Atheists. And now, here's your host, Noah Bush. What's up, all you non-believers, and welcome back to There Is No Godcast, the official podcast of Northern Indiana Atheists. We are, uh, of course, an affiliate of American Atheists, the national organization, which I know has been mentioned on the show before. Um, for sure, it's, 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 been, uh, it's been discussed. But the reason I want to definitely emphasize it right off the bat in today's episode is because I'm freshly back from the American Atheist National Convention in Cincinnati, Ohio, which we also discussed last episode. And man, we have got some good stuff for you guys. Um, Frankly, more than I was even really hoping or expecting for. Uh, Like I knew I was going to bring my recording equipment. I knew I was going to, you know, try and grab some people to to have some good conversations with. But uh, dude, yeah, uh, kind of shot for the moon and we brought the moon back with us there were some definitely very cool people there some very prominent people there and um really every one of them that we spoke to was very accommodating and very gracious with their time and we were able to sit down with several uh really awesome guests so we're going to have those interviews coming for you in the next couple weeks but uh as i said it was the american atheist national convention and uh they had an awards dinner which i was lucky enough to attend uh, with Daniel and Troy, and holy crap, they had an award for affiliate of the year. I mean, I don't, I don't know how many exactly there are nationwide, but there are quite a few. And uh, yeah, Northern Indiana Atheist took home the award for affiliate of the year. Um, so proud of Troy and Daniel and all of the people who have been working over the last year to, I guess, you know, gain the attention at at the American Atheist level for the good work. Uh, that everyone in NIA is doing up here in northern Indiana. I know that the uh, the courthouse display and a lot of the attention that that garnered in the media and nationwide, you know, for all the right reasons, it really highlighted uh, the work that NIA is doing when it comes to separation of church and state. Um, Troy, Daniel, I mean, everybody. I know they're, they're the two who are most visible. They're the two who have been on this show and who I kind of discuss a lot. But it's not just them. There's, there's you know, dozens and dozens of people who all had a hand in um, the last year that NIA has had. And uh, I know that everybody who was there at the conference, we were all so appreciative of uh, the recognition and yeah, holy crap, if, if you ever needed any more convincing that NIA is doing great work, um, American Atheists absolutely uh, sort of made that very clear uh, with the recognition that uh, NIA was, was uh, very honored to receive. So congratulations to the entire organization. Keep doing what you're doing. Uh, and yeah, so, so today's show, I, I won't bury the lead any more than I already have. For those of you who don't know uh, or haven't really read the show notes or anything like that, yeah, Matt Dillahunty, holy crap. Um, if you're not familiar with him, if you're kind of, if you know, you're you're further, further down the casual end of the atheist scale, Matt Dillahunty is a pretty, you know, he wouldn't describe himself this way, which is very humble of him, but he's a very important person uh, in the atheist advocacy community. You know, he is the host of The Atheist Experience, which is a TV show, YouTube show, podcast. It's it's put out there in many different mediums, um, but it's a very it's a it's a very prominent show, right? There are there are many hosts on the show, but Matt Dillahunty, uh, perhaps chief among them, uh, he goes around. He he does regular speaking engagements. He is 
he's just fan, he's fantastic. I won't hype it up too much more than that because you're going to hear the interview in just a second. Um, I'm trying my best to speak at a reasonable pace right now because as I have listened back to the interview, all I keep thinking is, Jesus, Noah, why are you talking so fast? And uh, yeah, it's because I was nervous. Let's let's just call a spade a spade. I was super nervous. Um, Matt was at the convention. There were several people, you know, kind of of his stature at the convention. And uh, it's not like they have security detail. I mean, you know, they're kind of celebrities in our community. But at a convention like this, they're really, you know, they just kind of walk around like anybody else, you know. And I was aware that he had been around. Um, so were Troy and Daniel. And we had kind of whispered amongst ourselves, like, how cool would it be if we could have a sit down with him, you know? But we all would kind of be like, oh, you know, he's he's a, he's an important guy. Like, he doesn't have time for us, or he probably wouldn't be willing just off the cuff to, to sit down with, you know, some dumb podcast that he's never even heard of. But, uh, yeah, no, like, I actually, I, I, and you'll hear this referenced in the interview, I ran into him at the bar, the hotel bar, one night. Um, he had He was sitting with someone who I had been chatting with earlier in the evening, um, before I had any idea who this person was, and the two of them were sitting there, and I just kind of walked up, and they were, they were, uh, anyway, there was some stuff going on that kind of caught my attention, some nerd stuff, um, that there was a nerd flag flying, and I just kind of stopped, and I was like, oh, hey, are you guys, you know, doing this nerd stuff, and they're like, oh, no, we're actually doing this other nerd stuff, but it kind of led to a brief conversation, um, none of which involved anything to do with, with who, you know, he, Matt Dillahunty was, or is, but uh, it just kind of, you know, I, I realized who I was talking to. And the next day, um, I think it was Troy or Daniel or some combination of the two of them, when I was out wandering around at the conference, that, uh, you know, we had we had, had several conversations with some of the, the team that he was there with, some of the crew members from um, the Atheist Experience. And they were all very nice people, too. Um, their audio engineer actually gave me a lot of really helpful tips about how to kind of make the audio sound better, or at least kind of how to fake my way into not making it sound too amateur. So he was super nice and, and very um, giving with his time and, and insights. And uh, yeah, I, I was wandering around the convention and I came back. And when I kind of turned the corner there where our uh, row of tables was, I saw, uh, I, I believe Daniel and Troy both at the table uh, where I would have expected to find them. And Mr. Dillahunty was just kind of there. And I walked up and they were just like, uh, hey, do you want to talk to him for a few minutes? He said he'd, you know, give you a couple minutes. I was like, uh, I mean, I'm just standing there like trying not to pee my pants. It's not like I have anything prepared. Uh, so yeah, that's kind of how it went down, man. And I had already set my stuff up in another room elsewhere in the conference where they had kind of directed podcasters to, to do so. And I was just like, uh, yeah, you want to, so you want to, you want to go right now? And he was like, sure. You know, and, um, he, it was kind of, I think, earlier on in the day, and I think he had had a later night the night before, so he kind of joked even as we were walking over there. He's like, yeah, I'm only kind of half awake, so it might, you know, might take me a minute. And I'm, in my mind, I'm like, dude, I would take you at, you know, 10% awake. That'd be fine. Like, just getting to sit and pick your brain for five minutes, which truthfully, I wasn't expecting much more than 60 seconds for him to sit and just, you know, um, I know Troy and I had talked about how cool it would be to just literally... Uh, get his attention long enough with a microphone nearby to say, Hey, I'm, you know, hi, I'm Matt Dillahunty and you're listening to there is no Godcast." like that. That would have been like, that would have made the entire conference a success to us just because we, we hold him in such high regard. Um, as I said, if you don't know who he is, I'm going to put some links in the show notes and this is referenced in the interview several times. Uh, there's a particular video of his that had a really uh, profound impact on me. And relatively recently, this was not that long ago that this uh, clip came out. Troy is the one who shared it with me originally. Anyway, 
you guys know how I am. I could just talk and talk and talk. Without further ado, I'm just going to cut straight over to the interview, and I'm going to let you guys listen to it. Please listen to it. I know there there are bits at the beginning where we're not talking strictly about atheist stuff, and I kind of try my best to um, you know keep focused on on the time that I had him there with me. Uh, but please listen to it. He is he's fantastic. Please make it a point if you haven't to watch the Atheist Experience or listen to the Atheist Experience. It's a great show. Uh, I was actually fortunate enough to get one of the other rotating hosts of the show to sit down with me. Um, later later on that same day and my conversation with him was fantastic as well so some of these uh, interviews are long enough that I'm going to basically make entire episodes out of them I did several other interviews with um, representatives of a bunch of other really important organizations um, that were on the shorter side so I think what we're going to do is I'm just going to let you guys listen to Mr. Dillahunty trust me it's your pleasure uh, and then I'm going to have a couple other episodes in the next few um, slots where you know some of them will just be a longer interview um, I think I'm going to do one episode that'll be kind of a conglomeration of two or three of the shorter interviews that I did. And then uh, once we sort of uh, tap that keg dry, we'll get back to in-studio shows. But I'm really excited about all of the content that we were able to generate from uh, being at this conference. I had an absolute blast. Uh, I'm a homebody, so I by by the time we were, it was kind of drawn to a close, I was just kind of like getting cranky and wanting to go home. So if Daniel and Troy are listening to this, <laughs> thank you, thank you so much for putting up with my uh, with my crankiness, my fussiness. Uh, you know, in the in the waning hours of the convention, uh, you know, be it ever so humble, there's no place like home, right? So without further ado, take it away, me. Take it away, Matt Dillahunty. So awesome. Uh, so, hey, guys, we are joined by Matt Dillahunty. Anybody I would imagine who's listening to this show probably knows who he is. But but just in case, uh, Mr. Dillahunty, thank you so much for joining us. Tell us a little bit about who you are. I'm just some guy who talks a lot. Uh, I've been hosting the Atheist Experience TV show, which is a call-in show sponsored by the Atheist Community of Austin for about 14 and a half years, I think. And then also a number of other podcasts. But largely, I run around, do lectures, debates, uh, magic shows. I just finished a tour with my magic and skepticism show which basically teaches the principles of skepticism while you know doing magic tricks and entertaining and educating sure um, that's yeah our debating and discussing religion philosophy and stuff like that has pretty much become my full-time job full-time life thing and uh and i love doing it and so i'm happy to be here at uh, the american atheist convention and to get to sit down with the Northern Indiana atheists. Oh, dude, I really appreciate it. And I'll, I'll, I'll get my, my fandom out of the way and just say I'm a big fan. I mean, I really appreciate it. You'll get it. over it. I, I, yeah, yeah, it's faded. The mystique is faded. Give it a few quick. minutes and it'll be like, oh, he's just some jackass I can talk to. Yeah, well, and I, you know, and I ran into you at the bar last night, and it almost took me a second to even register who you were because the first thing I noticed is that you had a Magic the Gathering mat in front right. of you. And I was like, oh, hey, he's a geek. Oh, and he's kind of like an atheist celebrity too. But Oh, yeah, I'm, so I'm a massive, massive gamer and always have been. Ditto. Uh, and, and in every regard, uh, I've played semi-pro pool. I've, uh, wow, lots and lots of computer game stuff uh, right up to today. And then card games and board. I have a massive board game collection. We have board game nights over at my house like twice a week. Sure. And so last night, even though, yes, I played a lot of Magic the Gathering, we were actually playing Keyforge, which is Richard Garfield's who created Magic the Gathering. It's his new game. Right. And uh, Eric and I were sitting there playing at the bar, which turns out, 
not the best place to actually play a game. So I'm, I'm at a convention where there are tons of people who, you know, have come here and they want to they want to say hi and they want to say hi to me. They want to say hi to Eric. And so we're sitting there. It's a little too dark to read the cards. Right. We're, we're playing. And then every 20 seconds, somebody's coming up. To oh, say oh hi. yeah. Same. Same here. People are just like, oh, hey, you're Noah Bush, right? Oh, right. Just, they need selfies all the time. That's good. You should call me out for my crap. You know. yeah. <laughs> oh, stop talking about how popular you are, Matt. No, we were having a good time, and everybody would come over, and, and you, you you noticed the mat, and that's right. what it reminded me, because you're like, oh, you guys playing Magic? And I was like, uh, no, not, we're playing a, a similar game. But. Magic, yeah, Magic-ish. Yes. Yeah, is it just, I mean, is it, is it just as expensive a hobby? Like, you still have to, like, keep pumping money into it to be competitive? Well, it's still fairly new. I, I don't think it will any, be anywhere near as potentially expensive as Magic, because... One of the things about Magic is there's expansions coming out regularly, so the metagame right. is always changing, and you're in this position where you're trying to build decks, and you're either chasing cards or buying cards or trying to figure out what the best deck is or paying hundreds of dollars to basically clone what somebody else is winning a tournament with. Right. Um, Keyforge, you don't ever build a deck. It is Every deck is unique, and... Put together, every deck has a unique name. It's got a card with a QR code and a list of the 36 cards that are in the deck. You cannot adjust your deck at all. You can't like pull cards out and put something else oh, in. Okay. It is a set deck. And so either you bought a good deck or you bought a bad deck. And there's some of them, I've seen decks on eBay. I've seen a deck on eBay for $10,000, but that is, that's a ridiculous special case. But tournament competitive decks, I've seen selling for anywhere from 50 to a couple hundred bucks. Sure. Uh, to, for reasonably competitive. Now the thing is, I could buy an entire box of decks and find one good one and a bunch of mediocres, and so that could be expensive. Yeah. But if you wanted to, you could just you know buy a single deck for hundred bucks and have a good local tournament deck, and then you don't have to chase cards forever. And my so my conversational ADD is kind of kicking in because I'm sitting here realizing I've I've got you here and your time is so precious. And again, I really appreciate you being here. And we're talking about like you know nerd uh, games and such. So why, me, why not? I talk about I, I, anything and everything. I, it, I love a lot of stuff, and so I'm happy to talk about things I love. That's fair. But let me, let me ask you a couple questions. Sure. So, so our show is kind of local. It's, it's you know, local to the South Bend, Michiana area. Um, my show doesn't really dive really deeply into a lot of the more academic approaches to atheism. It's, it's kind of meant more for, for casual atheists. That's mm-hmm. kind of how I always describe it. What would you say to a casual atheist, the type of person who really doesn't believe in God, obviously doesn't go to church, but really is uncomfortable discussing that in their everyday life or really uh, labeling themselves as, as a non-believer? What would you say to those people? Yeah, so I'm, I'm a philosophy geek, and I get into a lot of the heavier stuff. But for people in that position... You don't owe anybody an explanation. You don't owe anybody an argument for who you are or why you don't believe. Uh, the, I, I know sometimes it's frustrating because you'll, you know, especially if you're dealing with like religious family members, yes. they'll come at you and, and they'll want you to defend your position. But it doesn't matter if we're talking about you being an atheist, free thinker, secularist. It doesn't matter if we're talking about you being uh, gay or poly or whatever the thing is. You don't know a single other person on this planet any explanation for who you are. So if you're the type of person who's not comfortable having those conversations, then that's exactly what you should say. Hey, this is what I believe or don't believe. This is who I am. But I'm not interested in the debates, and I'm not interested in having those discussions. I just kind of like to live my life, and I'd rather that our differences didn't get in the way of the things that we share in common. Right. It's People are going to be irritated. They're going to see it as a dodge. Well, why won't you debate? Well, we were at a rally here just an hour ago, and just a mountain of atheists in the, in the plaza around the fountain. 
and there's one Christian woman out there who's got her placards and everything else. And so I went up and talked to her because that's who I am. Sure. And I was trying to make sure that we could have a conversation. And so I was asking her, she's just, she's kind of preaching, you know, this is true. And you, you didn't, your alarm clock didn't wake you up this morning. The spirit of God did. And I was like, actually my cell phone did uh, th- this morning, but it, how do I know that what you're saying is true? I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm not saying this isn't true. I'm saying, what evidence can you present? What argument can you present that could convince me? Right. And she tried several times, but what she ended up did, what she ended up doing was just kind of research. Well, I'm right. Well, I'm right. And I said, okay, think about it this way. You're a Christian. If there was a Muslim and a Hindu standing next to you, all three of you could look at me and just say, well, I'm just right. I'm just right. And now I have no way to tell the difference between you. And that's when she kind of said, well, I'm not interested in debating. And I was like, that's fine. You know, I, I am, but if you're, if you're not, I'm not here to force anybody into a conversation. She's got her cell phone out and she's pointing it at my badge and kind of holding it up as she's talking at me rather than with me. Sure. And the grand irony this morning was she's, she, while she's filming me, she looked me dead in the face and she says, well, have you ever heard of Ray Comfort? And I was like, uh, Yes, he's called into my show. I've debated him on the radio. I've met the man in person. Uh, he's having a convention just outside of town that coincides with this one. I tried to actually see if I could maybe go speak at their convention and let them ask me questions and then have one of them come over and do the same here. What'd they say? Uh, I got no response. Okay. Now, granted, it's not like I called Ray personally. I talked about this on the show, so they sure. might not even have seen it. Um, and the first, the opening trick in my magic show is... Ray Comfort's monologue about the banana as I'm producing multiple bananas. And so, yeah, I know Ray pretty well. And it was really kind of ironic that that was the first person she asked me about. Because for me, when I was a fundamentalist Christian, I wouldn't have had a clue who Ray was. Because Ray is uh, a street preacher. Yes, there's some popularity there. But if you, if you talk to my parents, they have, my parents have no idea who Dawkins is. They have no idea who Harris is. They have... They have no idea who William and Craig is, who's on their side. Uh, and they only know Lee Strobel because right. they went and met him in person after they found out I was an atheist. And they probably have no interest in finding out who those people are. No. They're perfectly and, content. And they're not willing or interested in having debates or discussions with me, which we found out in a six-hour conversation over Christmas. So for the people who aren't comfortable, you're fine. You, you don't have to be, you don't ever have to be forced to do something you're not comfortable with. And you don't have to give explanations for who you are. You should probably have, uh, make sure that you have good reasons and care about it. You don't have to dig in on the philosophy on everything. You can leave that to people who are more geeky about that type of stuff. Sure. It, it should be enough to say, I'm simply not convinced that, you know, what you're claiming about your religion is true. And I'm really not comfortable discussing it. Right. And anybody who keeps coming after you, now they're being the ass. They're, they're the ones that are, are crossing somebody's boundary. Right. And also, I know people who had no interest in the conversations early on. And then as time went by, they got a little more comfortable with it. They, got, they started going to meetups with other atheists. They started going to conventions like this one. And you find out you're not alone. You're not that different. Nobody's an expert on all this stuff. But you hear a little bit more. The one cautionary thing I'd add to that is uh, don't think that just because you heard me say something or Aaron say something or Seth, Sam, Richard, whoever that we're correct because one of the things that can happen is you get bad information go out and make an argument for why you're an atheist and then 
some theist is going to point out a hole in that particular one and now you're stuck again. Right. So it takes a little diligence to make sure that you're, you know, you, you should have good reasons for believing things and you should have good reasons or a good understanding of why you don't believe things. Right. But you don't know anybody, any, anything. You don't have to. And obviously there's shows like yours doing wonderful work on a, on a national or maybe even an international level. Um, and it kind of what, I, what the, the audience I'm aiming at, because you've got your, it's, I know it doesn't divide out this evenly mathematically, but you've got your third who are devout Christians. They're never not going to be. You've got your devout atheists, the other third. And I'm kind of like trying to find the people in the middle, yeah. you know, who are like, you know that they don't really buy into any of it, but they don't want to be uncomfortable at Christmas dinner. You know, they don't ever go to church, but they kind of pretend like they do. And I'm trying to kind of convince people at a, at a more local level you know, like, it's okay. Like, it's okay to just tell mom and dad, I don't go to church. You know, like, I don't want anyone to alienate themselves from their family, but you shouldn't have to live a lie, right, just to please other people. But if you're more, I, you know, I want as many out atheists as, as we can get. Absolutely. On the other hand, if you think that it's going to jeopardize your your life, your livelihood, the relationships that you value more than that, uh, I'm never going to fault somebody for not being out if, if sure. it's better for their life. And I don't criticize that, but I think the more out atheists there are, the more out atheists there will be, right. you know, and that's kind of what and, we're And the easier it is. All the people who are closeted and uncomfortable, it's because we haven't changed the world enough for them to be comfortable. Sure. There's a guy I just spoke to over in the exhibitor hall a minute ago who's not wearing a badge or anything else. Uh, he's got a job where his face is prominently displayed, so he doesn't want pictures because he works in a religious conservative area on a commission basis and doesn't want people to know because he would lose customers. Sure. And that's so illustrative of the problem. Like one should have nothing to do with the other, his merit as a professional and his beliefs on religion, you know, and uh, it's just, I should be able to sell you a car or a house or a boat or whatever, no matter what I believe about a a God. Right. Uh, You were mentioning like, like the thirds. And I know you weren't doing a math breakdown. One of the things that comes up, I I, I agree that there are people who are almost certainly never going to change their mind. My parents are almost certainly never going to change their mind. And if for no other reason, then they're not really interested in the conversation now. Uh, in part because they figured out I know this stuff better than they do, so they're never, never going to have the conversation with me again. Right. But I listened to your rant from your 50th birthday, so that's yeah. all very fresh in my mind. Yeah, that was, and that was really cathartic, and, and I feel much better after it, and I know some people benefited from it. I'm one of them. But when somebody says, why are you wasting your time talking to people who are never going to change their mind? Or you can't reason someone out of something that they weren't reasoned into. My response has been the same, which is they were reasoned into it by bad reasoning. And the cure for bad reasoning is good reasoning. Right. And if there's two people standing there and one of them is somebody who will never change their mind and the other one will change their mind under the right circumstances, I have no way to tell them apart until I talk to them. Sure. And maybe not even then. Maybe I'm going to have a conversation with them and make no progress and somebody else will have progress later. Because the way our minds work when we come across an idea that is foreign and strange, if you're, if you've been like entrenched in Christianity or Islam or Hinduism, your, your entire life, and that's what you're surrounded with. When you first meet someone who's like, Oh, I don't believe in gods. Your brain just goes, Oh, that's weird. And files it away in a bucket. Sure. And the second time you hear it, it's like, Hey, I think I've heard something like that before. And it, it gets a little closer to a thing. Yeah. And then the third time it's like, Oh, there's a pattern here. And now, the person that I talked to that I made no progress with, maybe I was their first time. Maybe they don't like bald guys. Maybe they don't like people with beards. You know, whatever. There may have been a personality conflict that prevented me from making progress. And yet you could walk up to that same person uh, after me, before me, whatever, and say almost exactly the same thing. And because there's a different interpersonal connection, the information is received differently. And you might be more effective. 
there, it, you know, people, we talk a lot about what's the best method, you know, right. firebrand or diplomat. And I've been consistently saying we need all methods right, because yeah. people are going to give up. They believe for different reasons. And they're going to give it up for different reasons. Sure. I was really hesitant even to start this show in a lot of ways because of the fact that these days there are a lot of atheist shows. I mean, there's a lot of them, but I've never had one. You know, I thought maybe the way I approach it, maybe the guests that I have on, because a big thing what I do, I, I have a segment called Atheist Storytime. And what I like is to have people on, people who are friends, family, anyone really, and just say, talk to me about how it is you realized you're an atheist. I want to try and like normalize that process for people, people who are maybe in the closet. And it just helps them relate to hear everyday people say, this is how it went for me. And maybe pick up on things that they can, you know, relate to and make it seem a little more plausible that they could do it. Um, you know, my wife's been on the show. Several of my good friends have been on the show. And now we've got Matt Dillahunty on the show, so that's kind of cool. <laughs> um, I mean, how, how old were you when you first realized that maybe, maybe you didn't believe all of this stuff? Uh, w- way, way older than I often like to admit, but uh, I was probably in my very early 30s. It was, it was somewhere around... 2000, 2001. Mm -hmm. Um, I lost my job after doing a really good job. And and essentially, I was let go because I had done too good at my job. And I I thought, you know, you you work hard, you put in the effort, you're going to get rewarded. You know, that was the work ethic that I was taught with. Right. Turns out that's BS. Turns out you're Job. Yeah. (laughs) Turns out companies are in it to make money and they have no allegiance to me. Right. (coughs) So when I lost my job. I thought God was punishing me uh, because I grew up with my family, members of my church who all thought God was going to make me a preacher. Mm-hmm. Uh, as a matter of fact, I did a debate a couple of years ago with Mike Lacona on the resurrection and people who I hadn't seen in 30 plus years who had gone to church with me flew down from St. Louis to attend this debate. One of them got up during the Q&A and basically said, you know, you may not remember me, but I was a deacon at your church and uh, we all thought you were going to go on to, to great things. What happened? Mm-hmm. And this was kind of validating every time I've mentioned, yeah, people thought this was the case. So when I lost my job, I thought God was punishing me. And I said, okay, I surrendered. I, if this is what you want me to do, I'll do it. And I spent a year and a half in pretty serious prayer and study. I mean, there were video games during that time too. Uh, but it was about trying to figure out where God wanted me to go. And I started realizing I don't actually, I, the, the reasons that I thought were good that had kept me believing, I began to discover that they weren't good. So the first thing I did was went looking for better reasons. I went talking to preacher friends of mine. I went reading what apologists had to say. And because I wanted to be fair about it, I also went and looked at what people were saying in response to what those apologists said. So give said. us an example. Like what would, what would an example of one of those things be? Well, so Josh McDowell wrote Evidence That Demands a Verdict, which if you're a Christian... Um, it's, it's almost like a, it's almost like the Bible of apologetics, Mm -hmm. because if you're a believer and you read through that, you're like, wow, yes, look at this, just mountains of evidence and it's all laid out so clearly and cleanly and everything else. But if you go over to infidels.org, which is the the secular web's portal, there are atheists who have gone through evidence that demands a verdict and written rebuttal responses to show where things aren't necessarily factually correct, where there's a fallacy in reasoning. Uh, where the standard of evidence that Josh sets for something is too low right. and why. And I, I was fortunate last year when I was touring Canada, uh, I was doing a show in a town where Sean, Josh, Josh's son, was having a, a discussion with 
somebody at a church and they brought me along. And so during the Q and A, I got up to ask a question. Uh, and it, I really didn't think that Sean would know who I was, but he recognized me instantly and then paused the whole thing to do this introduction. You know, it was, it was a little weird grandstanding. Oh, we've got this atheist, you know, prominent atheist debater guy who just showed up here. And, and, but the question that I asked him was, you guys have done, I don't know how many revisions of that book. Right. And you have a new one out. Have you gone to infidels.org, looked at the criticisms of the work, and actually written responses to that? And I don't think there should be a parade of, I say this, then you say this, then I say this. You know, you don't have to do forever back and forth. But there are legitimate criticisms there that I don't think they've ever addressed. And his, his dad was in attendance, but I didn't, I didn't get to meet him either. But Sean basically said, oh, yeah, we, you know, we've looked through some of that, and I'll send you a complimentary copy of the new book. So now I have an eighth copy of Evidence That Demands a Verdict. And when I went through it, uh, you know, it's nicely put together. And, yes, they've edited it. And I, I think they signed it, but at no point did I find anything where they'd actually addressed the criticisms of this, of this book that, that are out there. And when I started realizing that, also, I'd already read the Bible several times by the time I was 30. I read it as a teenager as part of a, you know, we're going to read the whole Bible in a year project thing. Right. Uh, and then I'd read it on my own uh, when I, you know, lost my job initially. But... I would start reading criticisms of the Bible. And inevitably, I did what every Christian I've run across has done, which is somebody will say, oh, well, the Bible says this. And my thought process was immediately, no, it doesn't. You're taking it out of context. You're you know, framing it in a bad way. Yeah, cherry that's, picking. That's not the yeah. thing. And it's because most Christians, first of all, don't know what they specifically believe, don't know that much about the Bible, and instead are relying on the message that they get in a service for a preacher right. and, and the general feel of what they think Christianity is. They're not experts on the Bible. They're experts on their personal relationship with Jesus, whatever right. it is. And that's so subjective and so yeah. open to it. And that's why there's what, like 50 or a hundred or a thousand denominations of Christianity. Over a thousand. Yeah. Is it really? Yeah. It's well over a thousand that, that identifies Christian. And so I would read something, you know, here's the story of, uh, Elijah and, uh, they, go up thou bald head and he curses them and two she bears come and rip 42 kids apart and I was like that's not quite what the Bible says and then I'd go look and it'd be like well that is what the Bible says so let me see what the apologists have to say mm -hmm. and the apologetics for that are well this wasn't 42 children it was a gang and saying go up thou bald head isn't just I'm insulting you it's a threat and I was like I don't know how that fundamentally changes this because the truth is you have uh, someone who's a man of God, who's being mocked or threatened, who curses the people that are mocking him, and a couple bears come out and rip them all to shreds. And if, getting back to Ray Comfort, who we mentioned earlier, when Ray was on the show, I asked him about, or uh, no, actually, that's not true. I asked him about slavery. Somebody else asked Ray about this and sent me the, the conversation that they had. And... They told Ray the story, and Ray asked them a really interesting question. He said, at no point does the Bible say that God sent those bears. And I'm like, wow. So you're telling me that you think there's a story in the Bible where a man of God is mocked, curses the people who are mocking him or threatening him, and then bears come out and kill them, and that it 
probably wasn't God that sent those bears. It was just a coincidence. (laughs) The whole point of the story is to show, don't you dare mock the people that I have chosen. Don't you dare threaten my representatives on earth or bad stuff's going to happen to you. And Ray, in order to avoid the problems with the passage, has respun it to the point where it's probably just a coincidence. God didn't send those bears. And at no point does it say God sent those bears. It's, it's a type of lawyering scripture that we see all the time. And it's very frustrating. And I got to a point where it was clear I couldn't be a Christian. It was clear I could not accept the Bible either as true in many cases. And there, of course, there are true things in there. Just like there's, you know, sure. Spider-Man lives in New York, but that doesn't make Spider-Man real. Right. Then there were actually moral problems. Uh, everything from the notion of original sin to blood sacrifices to uh, men having primacy over women. To, I mean, you can make the list forever. Endorsement of slavery repeatedly. Right. And so when I realized I, I couldn't be a Christian, I couldn't accept the Bible, the, the next step was not, hey, I'm an atheist. It's, all right, I need to look at this and figure out maybe what God might be real or what kind of, you know, there's too many religions to explore. So let me get into the philosophy more and figure out what sort of God might be reasonably justified to believe. And that would direct my search. I used to joke that I started with Buddhism because I wanted to find out if I'd have multiple lifetimes to explore this question or not. Sure. But it, that's not actually true. And it, it just quickly it, dominoes started falling to where I realized all of these various religious claims can't be true. There's no reason they can't all be false. And when we understand that human beings are trying to answer these questions that we may not have an answer for, trying to solve similar problems with similar minds, of course they're going to come up with similar stories. You don't have to do the, oh, Jesus is a copy of this story. All you have to do is say, hey, the people that came up with these details about Jesus are people, just like the ones who came up with stuff about Mithra. You know, right. why, why is the sky blue? We don't know. God made it that way. What's lightning? Oh, that's, you know, Zeus hurling, you know, lightning bolts down from the sky. Uh, Why is there something rather than nothing? Oh, because God did it. And when you come up with this big panacea answer, it's not an answer. It's not an explanation. It's just a response. It's a, here's where we're going to stop thinking. Here's where we're going to stop exploring. Sure. And I couldn't stop thinking and exploring. And I'm, the, the discomfort that we have as a species with saying, I don't know. Right. Is the biggest thing we need to overcome. Because sometimes that's absolutely the right answer. And it's one of the most frustrating things when I'm debating theists. I did three nights of debate at a Church of Christ in San Antonio. And by the third night, uh, the person I was debating started expressing frustration. Well, we invite Matt down here to, to have these discussions. And he just keeps saying, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. How can you live like that? Right. And my answer is... I don't think you know either. I just think you're giving whatever makes you feel comfortable with not having to say, I don't know. Sure. It's a placebo and I, I, I get it. And that's when I'm talking with, with friends or with colleagues or whoever that are, that are practicing believers and they, they always get this kind of tone where when they ask you a question that you know you can't reasonably answer, that they're waiting for you to say, I don't know, as like in a checkmate kind of way. Yes. Like the, the, the intricacy of the human eye. Like that's a big one. They're like, well, how do you explain, you know, the miracle of the human eye? I'm like, I don't know. I'm not an evolutionary biologist. I'm not an optometrist, but I, I don't. You, but I here don't are have... some evolutionary biologists you can talk to. Exactly. Who've studied the evolution of the eye and how right. it's evolved many times in many different ways in many different species, which is why you find partial similarities. Because sure. really the truth is 
your body is trying to adapt to, hey, being able to observe and, and detect light is good. Being able to tell the difference between light and shadow is better. Uh, and it's not like this is a conscious process. It's just the ones that can see more survive better. Right. And the fact that I can't explain the answer to that question to you does not mean that your explanation is one that I'm required to accept. Exactly. And if you were like the, the woman I was speaking with this morning, really not a fan of science, definitely anti-evolution. Um, the one who wasn't interested in debating? Yeah. Even though she came to an atheist convention with a sign? Yeah. Okay, got that one. She, All right. <laughs> and, and I know, she wasn't interested in debating. She wasn't equipped to debate. She was there to preach. Right, exactly. Go ye therefore under all the world, but, you know, blah, blah, blah. I'm right, and here's why. I'm yes. not interested in what you have to say. And, and it was especially funny to me that she asked about Ray, because uh, that told me a lot about where she was with regard to apologetics. Sure. Um, well, I was going to say that's not a, a slam against Ray, but no, it actually is. I mean, Ray is an incredibly nice man who I genuinely like, vehemently disagree with, and I think he's boneheadedly ignorant and stubborn when it comes to his science denial. And, of course, he'll, you know, say, oh, atheists are believing a fairy tale for adults when they accept evolution. And, and I'm like, much like what you were saying a minute ago, we could find out today that everything we understand about the theory of evolution by natural selection is wrong. It's incredibly unlikely. It's well evidenced. It is the foundation of biology. But if that were the case, it still wouldn't prove that a God did it. It wouldn't even hint that a God did it. Right. And even if we had a hint that a God did it, we still have all our work in front of us to show which God and how. Right. It's just back to I don't know. That's, yeah. that's yeah, that's step zero. And I, you know, and it's, it's it, I like that you point this out that this is a person that you vehemently disagree with in a lot of philosophical ways, but that he's a very nice person and you like him. And I don't, that's something else I try to address on this show is that the two don't have to be mutually exclusive. You know, like we can all disagree on things. I invite believers to listen to this show because Mm -hmm. a big part of what I want to do is like, look, I'm never going to convince you that God's not real and that's, that's okay. But I still want you to hear what I have to say and kind of maybe be a little bit more comfortable with, with it, you know, so that we can get along better. Cause there are a lot of people like, well, if you're an atheist, then you're not as good a person as you should be. Um, and that's the kind of notion that I resent a little bit. And I don't always, you know, I've called people names, I've hung up on people, I've done it wrong. I've, you know, you're going to get frustrated and everything else. Um, I like talking about the, the fact that there are theists who I'm good friends with. And it's because I can absolutely despise a belief that they hold in our sharing and not despise them as a person. As a matter of fact, if I hated them, I wouldn't spend any time trying to convince them. Right. I wouldn't spend any time having a discussion with them. It's because I care about them and the world we live in that I'm open to having these discussions, not just because I think they're wrong, but because if I'm wrong, I want to know it. Yeah. The problem is in the entire history of, and we'll just stick with Christendom now rather than getting into every religion, there's never been a reliable shred of solid evidence for anything they're claiming. There are no new arguments. There are new versions of old arguments. You have, you know, St. Anselm's ontological argument uh, about God essentially must exist because it's greater to exist than not to exist. Sure. And then you have Alvin Plantinga's modal logic version of that, which I'm going to guess maybe 1% of the people on the planet actually understand and can follow and process it. And that's being pretty generous. Even if that version of the argument were actually sound and it was a legitimate demonstration that a God exists, what kind of God sticks people down on a planet, gives them a brain to investigate the world, 
allows us to learn about logic, and then presents the only good argument for his existence in a format that less than 1% of the people will ever understand. Right. Why are people born with learning deficiencies? You know, how, if, if this is about reasoning and understanding something, why would somebody be born with a learning deficiency that will never allow them to understand the one true argument that would do it? And if a Damascus Road experience is good enough for Saul, this direct interaction with God, why is God playing favorites? Why doesn't God give everybody here at the American Atheist Convention the equivalent of a Damascus Road experience? I, I, I don't understand it. And why, why would the resurrection, which would be the single most important fact if Christianity is true, what kind of God does that in a time and a place a couple thousand years ago where we don't have the ability to investigate it and people for millennia after will just have to trust that Paul, who went, you know, had a blinded, you know, auditory hallucination for all we can tell, is being honest when he said that after Jesus died, he appeared to the 12 and then, or Mary Magdalene and the 12 and then the 500 and then James and then me. Right. I don't have any information from those people. And even if I did, that's still, we have no firsthand accounts. Everything right. is second. Right. But even if we had firsthand accounts, you're still talking about eyewitness testimony with normally notoriously unreliable. Right. So the best time for a resurrection is always, well, technically tomorrow. But as, as our <laughs> technology improves, you know, miracles decline at the same rate that video camera production increases. Yeah, and, and there's irony in the notion that, you know, all of these miracles happened at a time where we weren't able to really document them. But it's kind of ironic that today, even if those things were to happen, people would be even more skeptical of them as ever, even if they were legitimate. You there, know, like, there's a video of, of a resurrection supposedly occurring in South Africa that made the rounds on the Internet last month. Right. And when I debated the resurrection with Mike Winger last week, I asked him about that. And I genuinely didn't know what his answer was going to be. I, because it could go two ways. If I say, do you believe that's actually a resurrection? Uh, I understand there are Christians who would say yes, uh, because they believe that God can and does do these kind of things. And then I understand there's others who are going to say no. Well, Mike's answer was no. And his reason was, it's like a cell phone clip. And when the clip first starts, the guy in the coffin, you can already see that he's breathing. But I pointed out to him, you're not seeing the whole thing. There's a hundred or more people standing around there. Uh, and it seems plausible to me that, let's say this person was dead. This guy's going to resurrect him. He starts doing it, and somebody says, oh, my God, he's actually starting to breathe. And that's when they pick up their cell phone right. and start recording. Now, here in this one clip, which I don't believe is, is an actual resurrection, and neither did, my, uh, neither did Mike, my debate opponent, but there's vastly more evidence for that resurrection we're seeing in a video clip than there is for the resurrection of Jesus. Right. As a matter of fact, while I'm not a mythicist, I'm never going to say Jesus didn't exist because I think mythicists often go too far. It's undeniable that we cannot uh, reliably confirm even Jesus' existence. There's no, there's no contemporary uh, accounts of any of this. It's all secondhand, and it's all compiled as these source, you know, from these sources in a book where we have the Gospels. How many Christians think the Gospels were actually written by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? Right. Nobody who's actually a scholar does. Matter of fact, if you open up your NIV or whatever, the cover page for those will say, we have no idea who wrote these. These names were traditionally applied by the church, which means we have four stories, 
three of which are synoptic. One is kind of a mild outlier because it focuses on something else. Written by people we don't know ages ago, and we can't talk to them. So you have copies of copies of translations of copies of an oral record where we don't know who the author is, we can't investigate it, and the stories they're reporting, those aren't eyewitnesses writing. They're writing either the story they heard from somebody who claimed to be an eyewitness or even one step removed from that. Yeah, and then add a couple thousand years in between. You've got all these people who will say, well, the Bible says this and the Bible says that. We can't even really get out of the starting gate because that would first require me to accept that the Bible is an accurate source of information in the first place. I mean, hearsay is not even admissible in court. I mean, if someone heard me say something yesterday... And neither spectral evidence. Yeah, exactly. And you couldn't couldn't go into a court of law and testify to those things. So why am I supposed to trust that things that happened 2,000 years ago in the desert... um, I mean, I'm I'm preaching, obviously, to the converted, but... um, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of running out of steam as far as things to ask. I mean, I, I really, and you've got other things to do, and you've already been very generous with your time. Is there anything else you would want to say just in parting to, to my audience at the local level? No, I, the one thing we need is if you're comfortable being an out atheist, um, then do so. Get involved with local groups. You know, by all means, continue listening to podcasts and, and living your life and doing what you enjoy. Um, but, you know, I'm here at the American Atheist Convention because I, I see a value not just in preaching atheism or humanism or skepticism or whatever else, although there's value in that, but a lot of people feel incredibly alone and isolated because I'm the only atheist I know and you're not remotely the only atheist in your town. It's just that we haven't built a world where it's safe and comfortable for everybody to be out. Right. If you are comfortable being out, then be out and get involved. And if you're not, then there's countless other ways to support. You can listen to and financially support various organizations and podcasts, including, you know, American Atheists, Recovering from Religion, all these things that are working to make the world a better place for non-believers. Sure. And at a minimum, keep listening to the people who have been through what you've been through. At the, I hear the same stories over and over again at these conventions. And you talked about my, my rant about the letter my mom included with my 50th birthday card. It was powerful. It was moving. Anyone who hasn't listened to it, I'm going to put it in the show notes, and you better listen to it. It's it's nice because there's no denying I did it partly for me. Sure. This was where I'm going to draw my line in the stand, sand. I didn't have to talk about it on the show. But I realized not only would that force me to take the action of you know this far and no further, but also that I get emails on a regular basis from people who are dealing with that stuff over and over. And some of them look at me on the show and they're like, Oh, there's Matt. He's been hosting the show for 14 years. He doesn't have to deal with, you know, religious family members saying crappy things to him all the time. Yes, I do. Right. And I have for over a decade. And this is where I draw the line in the sand. And now my folks know, uh, two days after I did the show, my mom sent me a text message because she'd had surgery on her tongue and there was like a relapse. She thought she was going to have to have surgery again. And she went and saw the doctor and found out she didn't have to have surgery. And she sent me a quick text message saying, you know, praise the Lord, I won't have to have surgery. And I replied with, I'll praise the scientists and the doctors, but I'm very happy you don't have to have surgery. And now they know that when they send me religious stuff, if it's a one-way kind of preachy communication thing, right? they get Matt from the show. And for everything else, they get their son. And that also, they, if they keep doing the one more than the other, they may not have their son to talk to. Right. Because if there's somebody who's a toxic influence in your life, 
I don't care if we're related by blood. I don't care if you raised me and contributed to my life at that point. Uh, I'm, you're never in a position where you should let toxic influences destroy your life. Mm. And I understand how valuable family and kin are to many people. And you all get to decide what your comfort level is. And for more than a decade, I valued the relationship enough to ignore the things that were happening. And now I value my life, my work, and the type of relationship I would prefer to have over a toxic one. Sure. And a lot of people have, have, you know, said a lot of nice things about it. I hope it benefits some people. I did it partially for me, partially for the community. And for those who are wondering, uh, immediately after the show was over, I already felt better. I don't hang on to things for very long. Sure. I mean, there are people that I, I despise because of something that happened. I can't even tell you what happened in, anymore. Forgiveness, which is something that uh, Christians often talk about. Uh, they often talk about forgiveness and love. And I don't think that we have the same perception of either one of them. And without going into love, forgiveness for me is not done for the other person's benefit. If you've wronged me and I forgive you, it's not because you deserve it. It's not because I'm trying to make your life easier. Forgiveness is about making my life better so that I'm not hanging on to baggage. Because if I hang on to the baggage of you wronging me, that doesn't do anything to you. Yeah, baggage is heavy, man. You're just sitting there running around having your life. You have no idea that I'm miserable because of something you did. Sure. So forgiveness is so that you can get on with it. Saying I don't want to carry this baggage anymore. That's right. I want to get rid of it. Set it down. Keep walking. I loved it. I mean, I, I was I was hanging on every word, and if, if for no other reason, I really appreciate just the way you're so eloquent, obviously, and the way you explain things. It's like you know what? That's a good way to that's a good way to describe. It. I'm going to steal that, you know. And then the next time I have one of those confrontations, I'm just better equipped to express how I feel because of people like you doing what you do and doing what I'm trying to do. And my own little, I don't even know if small potatoes really does. It's like if you take a small potato and you cut it up into hash browns and fry them. And I'm like one little nugget. of. If you end up being like the biggest atheist podcast in the world in a year, you're going to sound really silly. We need everybody talk and we need have a bazillion podcasts. A friend of mine gave me a a little nugget that I'm going to start using. It didn't necessarily have to do with my parents, but it had to do with other relationship things where somebody had been taking advantage of me and I finally put my foot down. Uh, and he said, yeah, you were an emotional credit card that they maxed out. Hmm. And I'm like, yeah, that, that actually describes it pretty well. Yeah. And I wish that I maybe hadn't let them max it out, but I also learned a lesson from it. And that's why when people are like, oh, do you have regrets? Well, in some regard, everybody's going to have some regrets, but largely I don't because everything that's happened, bad or good, made me who I am and taught me a lesson and helped me get better. Sure. Well, thanks so much for joining us again. I really appreciate it, and I hope you have a a nice rest of your conference, man. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. All right. So there you go. Um, What can I say? That was pretty awesome. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed it. I definitely enjoyed it. Uh, I can tell you that after we, we finished up, you know, and we, we kind of exchanged pleasantries real quick. And uh, as I said, he, he was so gracious and so so nice about um, everything. And we kind of shook hands and said bye. And he actually did record, you know, a little a little uh, quick little thing for us that we can put at the, at the top of the show for, for future episodes. And, um, you know, he kind of had to go do his next thing. And, and Troy and I, we're, we're both just standing there like, oh, oh, my God. Like, did that really just happen? Yeah, I'm pretty sure that did really just happen. So that was awesome. And honestly, it was, I think, maybe the second interview I did. I think I did maybe one prior to that. 
Um, but to tell you the truth, I think it in a weird way, like made all of the rest of the interviews that I did, the rest of the conference go a lot better. Uh, just because frankly, I was so like just jacked up by having done that and nervous about it that I was like, well, I, you know, I can't be any more nervous than that. And I felt like that went pretty well. Uh, so for the rest of the interviews I did the rest of the conference, I was just like really a lot more laid back and uh, a lot less kind of, you know, anxiety ridden about it. And I just had a really good time. I, I met several really nice people who, uh, we had really great interviews with short and long, and I'm really excited to share those with you in the coming episodes. But for now, I think that's, I mean, you really can't top that for today. So uh, please check out Matt Dillahunty, check out the Atheist Experience, take a look at, at all of the things he's doing. I just, if you can find any clip of him speaking, then you'll you'll be better off for it. If you're an atheist or if you're doubting or if you have any kind of need for insights on what it means to be a non-believer, he is someone who, uh, who you want to be listening to. And I think he'd be the first person to tell you, don't just take it from him, you know, but like he's a great starting point. He's, he's very well-spoken. He's very educated and, 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 you know, intelligent about these things, but he'd be the first person to tell you, don't just take it from me. Like go out, read books, listen to podcasts, watch, you know, go out, go seek information. And, you know, it's up to you to decide what information speaks to you and what informs your beliefs. Uh, and that's all I'm trying to do in my own teeny tiny little insignificant way is just share viewpoints and, you know, you can take from them what you will. And we will see you guys in two weeks with more material from the American Atheist National Convention. In the meantime, please don't forget to rate and review, uh, subscribe to the show, blah, 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 blah. Do all that stuff. Uh, you guys know, just kind of insert the rest of it here. Uh, we do still have merch. Uh, the merchandise campaign ended officially because they kind of set a window where they'll, you know, do like one big shipment, but you can still get it. Um, go over to Bonfire. I'm going to have the link in the show notes basically indefinitely. Um, I love my, I'm wearing my, there is no Godcast shirt right now. The shirt is super soft. It's actually like legitimately one of my favorite t-shirts to wear now. Um, having nothing to do at all with the fact that it's promoting my show. It's just really a comfortable shirt. And I've got the hoodie. Uh, I think everyone who ordered from the first batch has pretty much gotten their, their stuff at this point, And we're starting to see some people posting. So if you've got, if you've got shirts and, and merch, you know, post pictures to the page, I'd love to see it. You can still go there anytime you want and you can buy, um, new stuff. I think the way that it works is that as soon as someone makes the first purchase, it'll basically just automatically restart a new round, uh, of, of shipping. So I think once someone purchases something, then there'll be like a two week period and anyone who, you know, orders something within that, I think roughly two week period, then they'll, they'll get their stuff in that shipment. So please, uh, someone do the honors, be the first person to kick off the next round of, Ting merchandise. It's good stuff. So um, be sure to check out Northern Indiana Atheist. If you're not a member looking to becoming a member, that's definitely a thing you should do. Uh, they're still up to all kinds of great stuff in the community, as I'm constantly saying, because it's constantly the truth. And we will see you guys in a couple weeks. Until then, don't stop not believing. We'll see you next time.